Good morning. Welcome to all those who joined while we got new stage lights. I don't like them because they're so bright, but we've had people work very hard for them, so thank you for all the work you did. They're just, it's a lot. But um, thank you for all those who joined this morning, and welcome to all the visitors. Just personal word of welcome. Thank you so much for just being with us, and it's wonderful to have you guys join. We bless you. We love you. We pray that you are protected and looked after and covered. Amen? Amen. wonder if we could stand just one more time, real quick. You don't have to. I'll be your friend if you don't. But I wonder if you have a Bible, if you have a physical Bible, can you hold it up? Again, I do this every once in a while. I'm just curious. Who has a physical Bible versus an electronic one? Can you hold up a physical Bible? Wonderful. The Word of the Lord. I wonder, I, I encourage you to get a physical Bible. I really do. If you don't, it's not that you're second-class Christian, but you will find things that you're not looking for when you have pages. When you have electronic, you can find only what you type in. So I encourage you to get a Bible. So, can we pray? She's going to join us. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is not our word, but yours, and your word is unchained, and your word cannot be stopped, and your word has all authority. Lord, we come to your word with reverence, with honor. It's not just a book, it's the word of the Lord. It's the words of the Lord, empowered and spoken by your spirit. And so I pray, open our hearts today to hear your word, so much revelation that is possible, and revelation changes lives and hearts. Lord, we, we come to your word today. Holy Spirit, we come to the word with you, the author, and we pray that you write it on our hearts, that you peel back the layers of our heart and open it up to the Word that can be a seed implanted in us and grow to maturity. In Jesus' name. Can we say amen? All right, I wonder if you could turn to the book of Acts. We are in a, kind of just started in the book of Acts a couple of weeks ago. Um, also, last week we had a fall festival. Some of you may be wondering why we kept it during the rain and we didn't postpone until this week. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. And uh, when we looked, it was going to be raining all week, but uh, this week and today, but, you know, it's far for them to, to project, so we just had to make a call. So we ended up having it in here, and I just want to, Elizabeth, I know you don't like this. Could you stand real quick? You're kind of short, so people won't see you anyway. But <laughs> she's wearing heels. Can we give her a hand, please? Thank you so much. And uh, Elizabeth is in charge of our events team. She is the events team, and, um, and she comes to our staff meetings as well. So she's just done a wonderful work. And they put that together, and they had to redo, redo. Every time the weather changed, they would change the plans. So they decided eventually to come to the church on Sunday morning. And so everything that you, if you were here last week, you saw all the beautiful setup. That was all done that morning. And uh, so we thank her, and we thank her wonderful team. And uh, I think it was a wonderful time of fellowship. I really, really do. It was actually, you probably got to sit and talk with each other longer than if we were outside. So it really worked out. So thank you again. So uh, let's go to the book of Acts. Please turn to Acts chapter 1. We're in the book of Acts. We see, can I have my glasses? Sorry, babe, they're next to you. No, other ones. <laughs> I have multiple pairs already. <laughs> the, the downhill is steep. Um, we're in the book of Acts, and uh, I've said this over and over. I cannot recap for the sake of time. We've, in a sense, done a little bit of a study, um, just touched some mountaintops, but I do believe in the book of Acts we see glimpses of God's original intention for His church. And so it's easy to say that and people get excited about the early church, but it also means that we see God's original intention for you because you are the church. And so it has to actually become personal, and it has to actually become real. So um, I'm going to read uh, Acts 1, verse 1 to 8. We've read this over and over, and, uh, but I'm going to read it again. And then we're going to read an entire chapter today, 
How many of you know it's good to have the, reading of the public reading of Scripture? So, uh, here we go. Hold on. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, which he's still doing in teaching, amen, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, I'm struggling not to preach. Every line is just so wonderful. Every sentence, there's so much in here. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. How many know the New Testament has commands? In the covenant of grace, he commanded them. Isn't it wonderful? They were given two instructions to receive the Holy Spirit. Don't leave and wait. That's it. It was very simple. We complicate it. Don't leave and wait. It says he commanded them not to uh, depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me. When did he hear that? A lot of it. Who remembers? In the farewell discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the sermon or the teaching he gave them on the Holy Spirit the night before he was crucified. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I've said it again and again. He didn't say, uh, he didn't say no, he just said not yet. So that will happen, just not yet. He says, will you at time restore the kingdom to Israel, meaning physical? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the uttermost parts of the earth. So to them, again, I, I know we've touched on some of this, but we have to see it as they saw it. We have to see it how it was for them on the ground. And I've, I try often to, to make sure that we can, what was it like for them? Because it really does bring the original power out of the Scriptures. And so they believed, and we don't have time to get into all of this, the Holy Spirit was so necessary in the early church. He was the great necessity. Without that, they couldn't be the early church. And so they believed that, for example, things like the Holy Spirit is necessary for the change of a person's heart being made new, to be born again. They knew it couldn't happen without the Holy Spirit. They knew that without the Holy Spirit, walking in the truth of the Scripture couldn't happen without the Holy Spirit. Because for generations they had had the Scripture, had the Torah, had the wisdom literature, had the Proverbs, had the prophets, and they missed Jesus the majority of the people on the, on the earth at that time. So in a sense, they saw it, but from the wrong lens. Jesus, as we know in Luke 24, opens their mind to understand the Scriptures, and He shows them all the fulfillment in the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the prophets uh, talking about Him and how He fulfilled it. He showed them. So they knew even the Scriptures, even the Torah, without the Holy Spirit, we won't see it rightly. Isn't that amazing? They knew that the Holy Spirit was God's divine help the empowerment to do what they had been commissioned to do. They knew that without the Holy Spirit, there would be no backup evidence for what they would say. In other words, the signs following the preaching. Without the Holy Spirit, that wouldn't happen. And you know, there are always going to be people on the earth that will not believe unless they see a demonstration of power. People say, well, they shouldn't require that. Well, in the Bible, there were always the certain group who unless the Holy Spirit came in power, it's like they couldn't believe it. They couldn't see it. Jesus himself said, if you do not believe in me, believe in the works themselves. Jesus is the substance, not the miracles. But even in Jesus' day, he performed miracles to help people see the truth of Jesus Christ. 
So, he also, they also believed the Holy Spirit was necessary for ongoing personal transformation of the believer. None of this has changed. And that's not the list you have behind you, but you can leave that up. They also believed the Holy Spirit was necessary for the ability to pass on to others whom they had received through the laying on of hands. A doctrine that was essential in the early church. You don't see it practiced too much in many church circles today. But through the laying on of hands to pass on the Holy Spirit. So, we've talked about John's the farewell discourse. We've talked about the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about what Pentecost meant to them in the Old Testament, the New Testament, some of the parallels. We won't go over that. The arrival of the Holy Spirit, what that meant, and even some of that list that I had up behind me, that's everything Jesus said to them. In the, we've touched on this in the farewell discourse, just in those four chapters, everything he's told them about the Holy Spirit. But he leaves out one word. What is it? What is the one thing he never said about the Holy Spirit? leaves out the word power. doesn't mention it once, but he mentions it in Acts 1.8. You will receive power. Because they need to have a born again, a new heart, a new creation to understand the things of the Spirit. He says, I have things to tell you, you cannot bear them. Then he tells you, you will receive power. So, Acts 2. Can we go and read Acts chapter 2? And uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. But you guys are very excited. Actually, We'll skip out some parts, but we'll read a large part of it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. If you need a stand, you're welcome to do that. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly they came. Now we've preached on this, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the arrival of the Spirit, but I wanted to read it anyway. And suddenly there came uh, a sound from heaven as of a, a rushing mighty wind. <laughs> I need these. There it is. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. That word house could be house, temple, or building. It's important for later. Uh, where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit sat upon certain special ones. Yet some people read it like that. The Holy Spirit's for everyone else, not for me, because I've done this, or I've done that. It says He sat upon each one of them. The Holy Spirit is for you. If you are a believer, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. I'll say it again. If you are a believer, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. Amen. He sat upon each one, not upon special chosen people. Not upon preachers, upon each one. And then it says, and they were all filled with an impersonal spiritual force. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. They were filled with the person of God, the Holy Spirit. So, so, so important. And it says, the Holy Spirit began to speak. And, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Even just that sentence, they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is, gives you an insight into the, how the Holy Spirit works. They did the speaking. The Holy Spirit did the giving. Uh, Holy Spirit gave them utterance, but they were doing it. They didn't own it. It actually came from the realm of the knowledge of God. God knows all the languages in the world. They get touched by the Lord. The Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into them, rests upon them, and they begin to speak as the Holy Spirit is moving through them as a vessel. The Holy Spirit owns it in a sense, but they're doing it. It's always like that with the Holy Spirit. You will do it, whatever it is, but you don't own it. It belongs to the Lord. And it will glorify the Lord if it's from Him. So, let's go to verse 14. Now we're going to look at Peter's sermon. So that happens. We all know what happens. They speak in other tongues. We've touched this. We're just going to go to Peter's sermon because this is the third week I actually try to get to Peter's sermon. So we're going to get there this week. So Peter stands up and begins to explain. Let's actually go back. Let's actually read uh, verse 10. 
Let's go to verse uh, 12, sorry. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? That was all the people that had come from all the other parts, all those cities listed there. That was people, Hellenists, that had come, Jews that lived elsewhere, that had come for the Feast of Pentecost, and they were all amazed because it was their languages. But then it says in verse 13, there were others who mocked, or others mocking said they are full of new wine. That's speaking about the locals, people in, that lived there. And because they didn't understand the language, they mocked. So there's two groups. So Peter stands up, let's read, and he actually preaches to the group who didn't understand. He preaches to the group that mocked. It says here, Peter standing up, verse 14, now we're going to read to the to verse 41. Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. So let me start by saying, Peter says, Peter standing up. What did it say earlier? It says, where they were all sitting. Now it doesn't matter. You can go make bones about it if you need to. I personally don't think they were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. You don't have to agree with me. It doesn't actually matter. That's not the big point. But the, the upper room is where they were staying and lodging over that time. That's why that word says it filled the house. That word house is different. It means place, even temple, chamber, room, building. It's a universal word there in the Greek. But but you know this, that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were sitting and thousands gathered. The Bible says that. It says the multitude, and there were 3,000 that got saved, and not everyone that was there got saved. So thousands gathered. So wherever they were sitting, it says Peter standing up, begins to address them. So wherever they were, there was enough room for thousands. So that's why I don't think it was the upper room. doesn't really matter, just for interest's sake. It says here, where were we? And it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all of Jewel in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That means nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass, in quotes, Joel 2, in the last days, says God. Now that phrase, the last days, is an, is an era. The last days, we're still in the last days. It's the church age. The last days is, the, is a, 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 a new dispensation, in a sense, from the time of the birth of the church here until the Lord comes back that we are in something called the last days. The Bible also speaks about the last day. So the last days era goes from now or from then when the church was birthed until the last day. That's when the Lord returns. All right? That's clear in many other places in the Bible. He says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now again, I'm trying just to read, I promise. What prophesy means to us and prophesy means to them are a little different. It's not because it's the same. But in their mind at that time, only prophets prophesy. You know, we have some examples like Saul is Saul among the prophets. We see that in the Old Testament. But if you were there on the day as a Jew, as a Hebrew, and Joel 2 is quoted, this is what Joel said, this is what's happening before you, where all sons and daughters and daughters and daughters, which was not culturally often happening at that time, it's mostly men. So Jesus, this great equalizer, comes along. And he says, and also prophesy. I believe in some of their minds, they're like, what, are we all going to be prophets now? It just would have discombobulated their thinking. And he says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. This is why I believe 
It's not just in a sense about prophesying. It's the realm that was formerly open to the prophets, priests, kings, and some judges. Yeah, there was the special people, in a sense. Very hierarchical system. The prophets in the Old Testament were actually filled with the Holy Spirit. We can argue about that. But the Bible in Peter says that the Holy Spirit in them was looking forward to things. So it says the Spirit of God was in them. Old Testament prophets. But you had to be prophet, priest, king, or judge. Everyone else was just like regular. And it's saying that in this age, the last days, the church age, that realm which was only open to some by the blood of Jesus has been opened for all of us to come in and for the Spirit to come into all of us and use us as he sees fit. And it says, And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The, sh the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So that's telling us this final act of God's salvation. This is what it was for them as Jews. The final act of redemption or God's salvation followed many other acts of salvation and redemption. It wasn't just this out of a vacuum. Sometimes in the new, in the modern church, we just see everything from our perspective, just kind of out of a vacuum, all about us, all about just this one time. But they had seen salvation and deliverance through Noah. They had seen salvation, a type of salvation and deliver, deliverance through Joseph. They had seen salvation and, del and deliverance through Moses, through David, through Esther, through Gideon. Constantly, the deliverance, the saving of God. Now this is his final act of deliverance, and he sends his son. And this will be for all people to come into the kingdom with God as their Father, covered by the blood of the Son of, Son of God as remission for their sins, to come into the kingdom as a son or daughter. Okay? And he says, Men of Israel, so now he's again speaking to those people that mocked in verse 12 and 13, or in verse uh, uh, 13. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, underline that, in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Where's the Peter that ran away? Think about this. What's happened? He's been filled with boldness because he's been had a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He ran away. Now he's saying, you crucified him. Think about that. Not a popular message. A lot of people want the touch of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes the touch of the Holy Spirit will cause you to do things that you never thought you would do. And then we think, well, if I do them in obedience, my life will go well. Theirs didn't. I'm just giving you the truth. They did what God said, and some of them died. Some of them were falsely accused. Who likes being falsely accused on social media? Oh, it happens every day. And people flip their lid. They're like, I, 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 can't, it's, I can't believe it. Really? I'm not on social media. It was the greatest move I ever made. Peace in my heart. So, thank the Lord. But these guys obeyed and became bold, and life didn't go so well sometimes. And they didn't come and say, well, Lord, you told me to do it, now look what's happening. It says they counted it all joy. So we're going to see their mindset again. And it says, uh, verse 24, verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Read that again. Because it was not possible that he shall be held by it. Now verse 25 to 35 basically explains that one sentence. 
explains verse 24. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. So what uh, Peter does here is he goes and he starts, he quotes three Psalms. Remember what has just happened. The Lord opened their mind. When, they, when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said he opened their mind and showed them Psalms and Proverbs. They can see all the fulfillments. So Peter's just had that lesson. He's just had the lesson of the fulfillments. And he got it straight from the Lord. Yeah, he stands up to preach, and he's like, let me explain what's happening. And he tells them what he's just learned. How many of you know daily Bible reading? And I have had seasons in my life where I do that well, and seasons where I really don't. But how many of you have done, you read something, you look at the Scripture, you study the Scripture, and then within the next two days, it's applicable. Because it's God's truth. And he says here, um, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Speaking to Jews, speaking to uh, people that were mocking, and I speaking like brings it close to home. Let me speak to you about the king, King David. That he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, if you wondered if David was a prophet, there it is. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, in other words, his children, his lineage, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. That's the Davidic covenant that God has made with Christ, that when he returns, he will sit on the throne of David. Okay? And some people are saying he's sitting on that throne now. We get into that at a different time. Um, to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. So he's saying, David was a prophet, guys. And the Psalms have shown me fulfillments of the Christ, and because he was the one, this is like his evidence. He said, if David is, the, we all know David, yeah, David the king, the height of Israel, we all love David. He said, and David was a prophet. They said, yes. And he said, if David was the one who foresaw the Christ because he was coming, in a sense, from his lineage, what he says about it is more important than what you say about it. He's giving them, as Jewish people, no option. Like, yeah, that's true. And he says this, that he would raise up to Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God, has raised up, of which we are all Witnesses, there's 120 people standing there, all having seen the, resurrection, the resurrected Christ, and many of them having seen him physically ascend. And they're saying, we all saw it. You can't say anything to that. And there's thousands of people standing there. And they said, your father David, the patriarch David, he spoke of this too. And he was a prophet, and he was our king. And that said the Messiah would come from him, he would know better than you. They're like, yeah, okay. And this is from an uneducated man. This formulated argument. Isn't it amazing what the Holy Spirit can do? He says, this Jesus God raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, this was my favorite verse after I got saved for quite a while, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father, that's Jesus, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And it was a revelation to me after I got saved. First, Christ is exalted. Then, the Spirit is poured out. First, Jesus is exalted. Then, the Spirit will be poured out. Jesus will be exalted when the Spirit is moving but it starts by exalting Jesus. And then he says this, 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but, said, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise of what promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, so we don't know the rest of his sermon, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. So, I trust that was helpful. It's good to just read the Bible. So Peter stands up. The Holy Spirit is moving. People are speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. The church has just been birthed. There's fire over people's heads. All sorts of stuff's going on. Peter stands up with the 11. That's team. Peter stands up, and he says, basically, what you see here is what Joel prophesied about. And then he quotes Joel, because he's just had the lesson from the Lord, right? So he does that. And then he starts to explain. So what I'm going to do real, real fast, really quickly, is the better way to say it in English, real fast. That means I've been in America a little while. What I'm going to do is there are six, in a sense, that I've just put down to help us understand it. Basically, six major points. There's many more. We don't even know all of Peter's sermon, because it says with many words. But that simplify, what did Peter say? Because up until this point, we've talked about the necessity of the Holy, Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit, the, the immeasurable power of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the need for the Holy Spirit, the love of the Holy Spirit, the, everything Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up and preaches all about Jesus Christ. Every, Peter stands up and says, it's Jesus. And so some people, when they read Acts, we get so enamored with the Holy Spirit, not that his favorites, the, the Trinity, but the centrality of all things is Jesus Christ. Peter stands up and says, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. First point he makes is he says, and we just read it, he says, let me explain what's happening. This that you see in here is what Joel prophesied about, and he basically says this, Jesus is who the Old Testament was pointing to. That's his major, first major point. Jesus is who the Old Testament was pointing to. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he started off with. And you know that if you read the Old Testament, even in some rabbinical writings, there's a constant pairing together of the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Spirit. You know that? And they often mentioned together, but it didn't look like what they thought it would look like. And Peter's saying, this is what the Old Testament promised, the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God, not the physical kingdom. That'll come one day, just as the disciples asked. But right now, it's the kingdom on earth, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus spent time, the kingdom has come nigh unto you, teaching them about the kingdom, the kingdom. The last 40 days, he didn't teach them math, science, those things are all good. Politics, how to preach, how to have a successful church, nothing. Not even healing the kingdom. And so Paul stands up, says, this that you see, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that the Old Testament was pointed to. And then he starts talking about Joel, and he points out to them, like I said, it's no longer the special few. It's no longer prophets, priests, kings, or judges. If you were a Jewish person, I, I wish we could see it for what it is. Sitting there that day, having grown up with all the greats, 
the Daniels, the Josephs, all the special chosen few, the Abraham. And here a man who is operating and, and filled with the Spirit of God, the presence of God has filled that place, the glory of God is there, fire of the Lord is sitting upon individuals, not upon a corporate temple, upon individuals signifying to Jewish people, we are now temples. And he stands up in the midst of all of that and says, the Holy Spirit is for you. And it's because Jesus is the Messiah. And because of that, you can come in and have access that you've never had before. That would have been so exciting. We can go into the presence of the Lord? Yes. He also, in a sense, if you were there, all they had ever known was that the way that God would save the world was through proselytism. That people would look at the Jews, see that the only true God is the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, so they will become like us by coming to synagogue, believing what we believe, going through the process of proselytism, ending in Jewish baptism and circumcision by the covenant of Abraham, and in a sense, that's how God's going to save the world. That was their mindset, friends. Peter's telling them, no, by the preaching about Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that is now for every individual person who believes. Imagine, imagine what it was like for them. He's saying, guys, the law is fulfilled, so the sacrificial system is over. I mean, everything about their day, I know I've said this over and over, but it was such, it, it rattles my world, because they were so cut to the heart at the hearing of the gospel that they said, we'll change our whole life. And today I see the gospel presented, and people, it's like a sticker onto my life. And he said, no, it's everything. Jesus wants your life. Because it's, it, it, he paid for everything. The sacrificial system ended. Animals are no longer needed. The ones were all sacrificed. The blood will do this. The blood will do that. Everything we sang today. They're like, what? what? What do you mean? It's not even proselytism. It's one family. They didn't even go into Gentiles. My goodness. Peter wasn't ready for that. He is our prototype. We have to understand that. Jesus is our prototype. So most of what their lives have been revolved around at that point, he's saying, it's all about to change. When a person comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when it's real, most of what their lives revolve around until that point is all about to change. You can't keep your old life and walk with the Lord. Not because he's like, I'm in, you must be better. It's not because of that. Everything changes. So, second point. This is a dividing line that some people will separate on, and I'll just tell you what I see in the Bible. Peter stands up, and he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. That's what it says, right? A man, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him. Peter stands up and says, Jesus, in our language, operated as a man filled by the Holy Spirit. That's what he stood up to say. Jesus operated, that's what he said, Acts 2.22. He operated as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He did not use or cling to his divinity for the miracles. How many times does the Bible have to teach us this? I'll give you a few verses. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, that's his humanity, who went about doing good and healing all of those oppressed by the devil, right? But it says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. In other words, everything he did was through being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 9, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped 
but let that go and being found in the likeness and the image of a man. John 5, Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. He said it twice in one chapter. He even said, the works that I do, they are not sourced in me. The Father in me does them. He said it over and over and over. Hebrews 4 says he was a priest like us in every way, tempted in every way, but was without sin. 1 Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So we know he was fully man, fully God. We hear that. But if the way he operated was because of his divinity, someone has said it this way, I can applaud, but I can't follow. I can say, that's amazing, but I can't follow you. He said, follow me. He said, the works, you do, uh, the works I'll do, you'll do. And we've complicated it. My dad says it this way. Is a man or a person rightly related to God and anointed by the Holy Spirit? Rightly related meaning a person who is righteous in God's sight. How do you become righteous in God's sight? Can you earn it? Can you strive for it? How do you become righteous in God's sight? By grace, by faith, by being born again. And you get the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus placed on you. You stand righteous before the Lord, not because of what you did, because of what He did. But you still need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You still need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I know this is a line that some people are like, I'm not saying you can be like Jesus. But the body of Christ is that, the body of Christ. Collectively in this city, we are called to be in this city as if Jesus was walking through Leesburg. That's why we are the body of Christ, collectively, not one of you, together, with different gifts, different skills, different talents, and collectively. Jesus was the prophet, the, the pastor, the evangelist, the, the apostle, the teacher, but he gave gifts to men. And he gave gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he, in a sense, divided himself up. And his body in a city. That's why there's city churches in the New Testament. His body in a geographical region should be as if Jesus was walking through that place. His body on the earth. His hands, his feet, his mouth. And people say I'm taking away from Christ when I say that, like his divinity. I'm not, friends. He was fully God. He had to be from the Lord because if he wasn't, he couldn't have been sinless and, and he couldn't have died for and saved humanity. But he said over and over and over, I do not do the things I do by myself, but the Father in me, but by the Spirit, but by the anointing of God. And Peter stands up when all this is happening on the day the church is birthed and says, this happened. And Jesus did this. He was a man who operated by being anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. He says that on the first day of the church. You know what I've learned when I go back and I look at church history? There are always those who will not believe what I'm now saying. And I'll say, nope, nope, nope. And there were always those who do. Throughout church history, what I've discovered is those who do walk a lot more like the Lord in character and power than those who don't. I know I'm being pretty hard on you with this, but when will the church see, if we want to see what they saw, we need to believe what they believed. This is what they believed. With all their heart, friends, they walked with Jesus. They saw him eat. They saw him go to the bathroom. They also saw him ascend. They, they knew he was of God. They knew he was from God. They ended up learning he was the son of God on the earth. But they saw his humanity. And he told them, when I leave, I will send you one who is like me. And he will not speak on his own authority just like I didn't. He will operate just like me. He will be to you who I am to you. They just believed something so simple. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we have who Jesus had, and that's why he could do what he did. That's what they believed. 
And guess what? That's what they did. And so we've come up with all these doctrines to be like, well, they were special. They had just moved away from they were special. Hello. No, they were special just for them. We've just ended that system. For sons and daughters, men servants, maid servants, upon each one. What would happen to the church if they actually believed this? What would happen? I don't know if we've ever seen a generation that fully embraces this single truth. And Peter is saying in verse 38 and 39, he said it to them and he's saying it to you. This gift is for you. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's for you. You know how much they actually understood grace? We look at the Old Testament and they say, oh, it wasn't grace. You know how much they understood grace? Every year, they went to the temple on the day of Passover and they killed a lamb. They inspected that lamb. It didn't matter what their life was like. It didn't matter what they were doing. They inspected the lamb. Is the lamb spotless? If the lamb is spotless, we're good for another year. And it's like Peter standing up saying, guys, you know how with Passover, the blood of the lamb is what's inspected? Yeah, Jesus was that lamb. And he has been inspected. And because he has been inspected, just as the spirit of death passed over, no matter what the people were doing inside of that house in Exodus, they could have been kicking each other, fighting, praying, doesn't matter, good or bad. They, ain't, they looked for the blood. And the spirit of death, when it saw the blood, passed over. In exactly the same way, guys, he's saying to them, when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, sees the blood, he enters in. Not because of you, because of the blood. And when he enters in, you have who Jesus had. And because you have who he had, he said, then you can do what he did. Not one person like he was could do collectively. So guess what? It's kind of a big deal that we get along. Acts 2, 42, they lived together. They ate together. Rightly related because of Jesus. Anointed by the Spirit because of Jesus. Oh, man, we've made it through just two points. <laughs> we'll end there. They were good. <laughs> she says, I'm not so sure, but we're getting there together. Can I read you a verse that messed, messed me up just on this topic, and then we'll go through the rest next week. Peter in Acts chapter 3, he's walking along, goes to the gate, beautiful. We know he raises the man up, the man who was crippled. You know what he says? What does he say? Silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. Rise up and walk. If someone came in today and said that in the church, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, a large part of the church would stop and say, oh, he's saying he, that it's from him. So religious. He said, what I have is mine. What I have I can give it away. That's what he said. So they would be like, oh, he said it was him. Oh, time to leave this church. Thinks he's Jesus. Then they're all amazed, and they marveled. And Acts 3.12, he says this. This is the verse that it rocks my world. I read it frequently because I need to. It says this. Men of Israel... Why do you mar now he's talking to the people that he's just preached to. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, meaning the miracle? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? It's like now he's saying the opposite. He said, What I have, I give it away. Then they're like, Wow. Then he says, Why do you look at me 
as if this is my power or my godliness. Because they understood something in the New Testament church. When I have the Holy Spirit, I have Him. And He has me. And I can give away that which I've received. But I'm not the source. Why do you look at me as if I'm the source? I'm not. He's saying, it's Christ is the source. I'm not the source. It's not my power. It's someone else's. Just like the Spirit spoke through them and gave them utterance, they did it, but they weren't the source. They understood that. They, wasn't, they weren't making bones about it. Today, we get all wrapped around the axle. <gasps> he says it's him. He said it was him. I get passionate about this. He said it was him. You can say it's you. Because you're in the family. What I have, I give. But it's not me. And he says, why do you look as if by my own power? Then he says, all godliness. That word godliness means piety or character. He says, you think my character earned me the ability to make this man walk? I walked away from him days ago. I denied him just days ago. I just messed up, big time. Oh, they understood this in the early church. Can we stand? I don't know how to land this. I really don't, I'm being honest. I'll read you the next things that we're going to get into next week. What did Peter continue to preach about? Jesus rose from the dead and is alive right now. Jesus Christ is responsible for what you see and hear. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven right now and is seated at the right hand of majesty. That was what he said. Can we open our hearts and our arms and our hands if you can? Dad, I wonder if you could come pray for us. That's just what I feel. I, I trust today made sense to you. I was a bit all over, but we will go over it next week. Thank you for your time. Bless you all. My dad's going to pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for your word. And uh, I ask, and we ask, that where your word spoke to our hearts, that we would grab onto that. that we would grab onto that, that which captured us this morning. Let it sink deep. Let it sink deep. Thank you.